Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 118, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, how to give feedback to your boss and... A university embraces a fourth grader after he's teased about his shirt. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, five tips on how educators can maintain their passion for teaching. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by the principal with all the answers, Christina Pollard. Christina, should we... You like that? You like that with all the answers? Yeah. Do you do you feel that way sometimes? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we tell our listeners about the uh, podcast we found ourselves on uh, Friday evening? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. That was fun. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what to expect. And I, it was really hilarious. Well, and, and we got to set it up first. I'm, I'm like home for the evening, and Christina calls me, and I'm like, "Hello, you know, like what's going on? I'm not expecting to hear from you right now." On a Friday on evening. On a Friday, and you're like, "Hey, um, you want to do a podcast?" I think what, it was like, "What, what, what you doing?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what it started with. It was like the setup. What are you doing? Because if you say nothing, then I've got something for you to do. And next thing I know, like five minutes later. We're on um, Gay Polk Payton's show. Yeah, the Survival Network online. It was uh, it was fun. She's a character. Very much so. And she's a judge as well. Yes. So she's still a judge, right? She yeah. is. Right. That's and great. she still practices law with her private uh, agency. So. And I've been meaning to tweet out our that episode if anybody wants to listen to us on another show. But uh, I think you've already done it, right? I, I did. Okay. But yeah. I did not tag our class dismissed. I should have done that. Oh, that's okay. But if somebody finds you on Twitter, we've have we ever plugged your Twitter account? Let's do it. Like, do you know it offhand? Your handle? yes, yeah. at Chris to Doc P. That's my handle. Wait, wait, at Chris K R I S the number two D O C P. For if I ever finish this dissertation. Oh, really? I didn't. How far along are you? Like, oh, I'm all but dissertation. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wow, I did not know that. I started, I finished chapter one, and then became a principal. So, uh, And I've had no time. I'll be able then. to call you Dr. P? One day. Well, that's pretty cool. I like that. So my handle is my motivator. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, being a doctor, being the boss lady, I think that's kind of in line with the uh, story you've got for us today, right? Oh, indeed. You know, oftentimes we have to sit back and reflect on our work environments, who we work with, and who we work for. Ran across this article, Seven Rules for Giving Feedback to the Boss. And, and so this is always risky. Like, Very risky. Like, you know, sometimes the boss doesn't want to hear your feedback. Uh, many times. <laughs> right. Many times. Um, but then sometimes you will work for someone who understands that they are only as good as the people they're surrounded by. Yeah, this is true. And I, I think most bosses should realize that. Um there was a time in my life where I had um, about 40 people reporting to me and I, there was a core group of people who I really wanted to know their opinion, but mm -hmm. it was just really a core. <laughs> it takes um, time and maturity mm -hmm. 
-hmm. I think. I think back to when I first um, stepped into leadership and I had so many responsibilities and expectations to meet for my boss. Mm -hmm. And then with the teachers, you know, I was just trying to get it done, make sure it was right. And as I reflect on it, while that was good practice to be the getter done, um, teachers weren't a part of the decision making. And so that was a learning time for me. Um, and, and so in they, my field. they didn't have ownership, I guess, in some of the decisions that were made. And, and many of the decisions, um, they were compliant, but they weren't a part of truly a part of the decision making process. And I think it just makes a difference for the level of respect they have for you. But then also um, in their actions when trying to drive the vision and mission. So this article's giving ideas to those who have a boss, which most of us do. And it's kind of like, how do you approach them? How do you get your opinion in there? Yeah, even I have a boss. There you go. So let's go ahead. Let's uh, let's hear them. Well, I tell you, I'm, I'm going to read them to you slowly because I've got some comments. <laughs> All right. I probably will too. Hey, listen. So you, so you don't necessarily agree with the whole list is what you're telling uh, I'm going to provide some recommendations. Okay. Gotcha. I won't say I disagree or agree, but just some recommendations. All right. Number one, pet the tiger. Okay. Um, the okay. article talks about, you know, it doesn't end well if you poke that tiger with something sharp. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I would say, you know, I'm not into being a kiss up. Yeah. I, I have trouble faking it. Yeah. I can't be fake. I, I can't hop my facial expressions. Oh, that's something I've been working on for the longest. <laughs> you know, if I'm deep in thought, if I'm processing something, if you say something that I find, you know, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but just weird. My face will show it, and that can be offensive, but at the same time, I'm not going to pretend mm -hmm. because I can't be my best self. Have you ever been known, like people tell me I, I have RBF. Are you familiar with that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's yes. I, I get that sometimes. Yes. <laughs> right. I just keep saying yes. Yeah, and if you don't know what that is, I, I don't want to put an explicit rating it, on this, this that's episode. That's correct. But go ahead um, and Google it real quick. But I'll say that that goes with relationships no, though most of the time when people um tag you as such they don't really know you they don't know how you process information right. they don't know that you fail to wear your glasses all of the time so you really could be squinting and thinking right. you know or trying to remember let me tell you something that I struggle with every day when I start my morning I have a million things to do and you know what's on my mind did I remember to unplug the iron? <laughs> You're the OCD person that like checks it over and oh, over again. Oh, I'll even drive back home because I can't really remember. Did yeah. the garage okay. go all the way down? Here's what you need. <laughs> Here's what, this will solve. Like I'm totally off the chart. I know we got a list to go through, but you go get you an Amazon little like wireless plug and an Alexa, and then all but you, the privacy issues. See, that's a whole nother episode we need. Yeah, maybe so. But but that way you like look at your phone and you can see. Listen, on your phone, if that plug is on or off. I'll have to do the, I'll do the research because we actually received an email recently that said we are not allowed to have those devices in classrooms because it's a privacy issue. So that concerns no, me. You don't need, home. you can just put the Alexa back in your house. Yeah, and but. the plug. But yeah, then, what kind of concern, what kind of privacy? Hey, that's, that's another, you know, you'll have to decide yeah, that one on your own. Yeah. But it'll, it'll sure will give you some peace of mind with your well, iron. I'll consider that. Thank yeah. you, Nick. All right. So let's go pet the tiger. Like what does so, that mean? So, I mean, pet the tiger means, uh, you know, <laughs> first of all, that's dangerous. Right. You don't get anywhere near a tiger. Um, you don't even stick your fingers through the cage. And so when thinking about that, you do not speak to your boss like you are on the same level or that you're friends. Mm. There is a level of respect and there's just a certain line there that you don't cross. Okay. And at the same time, when you see some things are not right or you feel you're not getting the appropriate amount of support, you know, there's a way to approach things. But 
employees that constantly say yes to you and constantly smile in your face, those are usually the ones that are not happy. I took a course on uh, working with millennials. Um, and I like millennials. I'm not a millennial. They're brutally honest. Yeah, they're honest. And they also want to be your friend is what they told us in, in they the do. course. You know? so that's, they do. That's a little and they want you know? mounds of feedback. Right. Mounds. I'll agree with you there. But there's not very many millennials in in my area in education where the you know, we talked about this on our last episode. Um, the number of candidates in the EDU programs is dropping significantly. Right. Um, so having those young people with the energy and with that really want the feedback, um, they're just it's not that many there. You'll probably you'll get there. They'll eventually trickle in, I imagine. I, I, you know, here and there, here yeah. and there, they're, you know, um, but they also bring so many ideas to the table and they're high energy and you need that. Right. So, right. so rule no, number two. What's number two? Bring heart. Okay. What do you mean by that? Listen, and this is from a leadership perspective. You can teach anyone skills, provide them all the support and training, mm -hmm. but if they don't have heart, that's a problem. And when you need to approach a colleague or a supervisor, heart has to be in it. Because if it's all about self and your personal needs, then it's not what's best for the organization. Yeah, and I think a lot of bosses um, see through it when, mm -hmm. when you're not, when it is about yourself, like they kind of see your motivation. So I think that's good advice there. Mm -hmm. All right. And so, you know, what you, there's a statement in here that says what you, who you are speaks louder than what you say. Hey. That just goes back to your actions speak louder than words. Right. And so you can be fake, like we talked about in rule number one. Mm -hmm. But as you also said, you can see right through that with people. If they're not really passionate and their heart is not really in the work that you're trying to do as an organization, then what you're bringing to the table for recommendations or suggestions or to even come and correct a boss, it's not authentic. Right. Yeah. You got to be authentic. Mm -hmm. All right. Number three. Be known for rowing with, not sideways or against. I mean, that's an old adage. You got to be a team player. Right. Yeah. You know, um, the, the, there's no I in team. You know, my kids, uh, whenever they um, get stuck, they talk about like, I don't love being in groups. You know, like teachers put them in groups. But it really is something that teachers should do, right? Cause well, as long as the groups are purposeful and are supported by data. Well, and, and there you go. But I mean, as we grow older, we find ourselves in groups. And here's the, like the big secret, like the kids that you grew up with in high school and all those personalities, they just go, they, they transfer with you to work. Like there's no like, you know, leaving them behind. So you just got to get used to it. And that's true. But also you have to have really strong relationships with the people that you interact with, whether it's the teacher students or, you know, a supervisor with employees to understand how students perform best. There are introverts that will, you know, give you their absolute best, but they don't want to interact. They don't want to talk. Um, and then there are those who cannot function without noise. You yep. know anybody like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, they love the environment of the loud classroom, so to speak. Right. It keeps them going. So you just got to gotta know your people. All right, number four. Speak for yourself and not others. You know, mm -hmm. when I... Advice. Yes, when you have someone to come into your office and say, you know, well... Uh, we don't really like the schedule you've put together. Right. The only way you should actually go to a boss or a supervisor and say, we don't like, you better have a survey right. with data results in hand. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, be a man, be a woman and say, hey, you know, I'm having a little bit of problem with this. Can we talk right. about it? Uh, I agree. I can't. There's also a lot of, you know, people coming in, they're acting like they're bringing you a 
problem that they have, but they're really throwing their colleague under the bus. And I, I really dislike that as a boss. That was mm-hmm. just me. So. No, that's very true. Because as a colleague, you should say um, to the other you know, those are very valid points. Why don't you talk to Mr. So-and-so about it? Why right. don't you talk to Miss So-and-so about it? Um, we can go together. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there are the two of us, if I believe in what you're saying. Um, but to, but if you're going to talk about it, you got to be real careful because no matter what's said in the teacher's lounge, right. in the, you know, in the break area, it always gets back. It's, it's tricky for a boss, too, because you want eyes and ears amongst your team. But at the same time, you don't want to be perceived and you don't want any employees to know that you appreciate them bringing information about someone else to you, you know, because right. you, you really, you got to kind of like Just squash it. it. It'll, it'll, it'll create negativity within your climate. Exactly. So you want everyone to have a voice. You want everyone to know that your door is open and you want to hear feedback. Um, but at the same time, you just need to be very careful with what you're bringing and why. All right. Number five, are we on five? Always seek the best interest of others. You know, don't put your don't put your personal needs, your personal issues um, at hand. And I'll give you a great example. Okay. Um, a few years ago when I started at my school, um, of course, you come in and you don't want to make too many changes. But when you take over um, a high poverty, historically failing school, clearly something has to change. Right. And I'll never forget, I had a teacher come to me and she said, um, so I hear we're having staff development on Wednesdays. My Bible class starts at 615. Mm. What'd you say? I said, oh, that's great. I go to Bible class too, but staff development is going to start on time on Wednesdays. Yep. Didn't tell her what time it was going to end because we're going to do what's best for kids. We're going to, we're going to build our skills. We're going to work on our best practices and uh, try not to keep you too long, but I'm not going to change the day of the week because you go to church on Wednesday. I respect you and get you out on time. Right. But she did not present that issue as something impacting student achievement. Right. Did you win her over in the long run? Oh yeah. Good. Because I am timely. That she found out. Right. I cross my T's. I dot my I's. I like to start on time. I like to end on time. Because you, you know, everyone's attention span is rough in the afternoon anyway. Some people have better days than others. But when it's time to get in groups and do activities and staff right. development and all that good stuff, teachers are worn out. And, and I mean, respecting the other, other people's time is a great show of respect. I mean, you can pay me well, you can do all sorts of things, but if you don't respect my time, it's just such an insult sometimes. If you're always showing up late to a meeting that we have scheduled, it to me, you know, it's frustrating. Well, hopefully as a leader, you have been in the shoes mm-hmm. of your your employees. Yeah. You know, you are a team, we are a we, but at the same time, if you haven't walked in their shoes and you forget about it, even if you did walk in their shoes and you've forgotten about that, you're so high now, you know, up on your horse, um, that, that creates an issue. And you always have to remember how the decisions will impact the team. All right. What's next? Okay. Number six. All right. Understand, embrace, and model organizational vision, mission, and values. If you don't come in there with a game plan, if you cannot clearly communicate your vision for the school where you'd like to see it in three, five, or your your you know large organization, then the employees don't know what they're working towards. All right, but this is from employer to boss, right? Yeah. So if you don't agree right. with it, so let me just go back to say, if you can't clearly communicate it, the employees don't know what direction to go in. Agreed. So then if they come to you, um, little perturbed about, okay, I don't understand our end goal here. What's the deal? You got to make sure that you're able to offer something. Right. Okay. When you, you have a problem where you don't really see it clearly, be very specific about what you don't understand and then possibly help 
your leader understand how to communicate that better for others. Because nine times out of 10, just like in a classroom, there's a misconception for children. There's Mm -hmm. a misconception for a teacher. Everybody else might have that same misconception. I worked at a place for 11 years without having a mission statement or a vision statement. It wasn't, it was never discussed. It was never talked about. Like we just kind of did our job. And then I had a change of leadership come in. And the first thing he did was hold meetings off site and brought in like a mediator and everything. And he's like, we're going to create a mission statement and vision statement. Like, why, why do we do what why we do? Why do we exist? And, exactly. And it really meant a lot to, to have that focus. And, and it made my meetings with that leader um, even better because I knew we were on the same page. I knew where he wanted to go and I knew where we wanted to go. And mm-hmm. it, it made things a lot easier. It's very important. So I think that if you work for someone that does not communicate a vision, a mission, the school, the district, the organization does not have anything in place that everyone can tie into and buy into, mm-hmm. then that's a great recommendation for you to make. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Number seven. Last one. Roll when the input is rejected or modified. Just keep on swimming. Just keep on swimming. Yeah. Uh, This can be hard for some personalities. There's two things though. You know, um, you can either grow where you're planted or you can uproot and move. Right. It's just, you know, clear as day. Um, there are leaders out there who are dead set. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it because I said so. And it's unfortunate because you have so much talent around you that can help your organization grow. And then you have those leaders who Bring it to the table and say, here's our challenge. Here's our numbers for the last year. Uh, here's our data. Let's hear some feedback from around the room and cultivate a plan together. Oh, there's there's beauty in that. Right. There's a great question at the end of this article, though. What suggestions do you have for giving constructive feedback to the boss? I have four. Okay. Well, you've right. had time to think about it, but let me hear Oh, it. yes. Number one, you need to trade, tread carefully. Right. You got to know who you work for. Mm-hmm. You got to know what you can and cannot do and how it will be perceived. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two, make sure that that door is open. Right. If they're not, you know, uh, Both receptive. Both literally and figuratively. <laughs> yes. If right. they're not receptive to feedback, you have to be very careful about providing it. And if they don't have an open door policy, that already tells you that they don't have that, mm-hmm. you know. Number three, be gentle because Sweet. leaders carry a lot. And we make mistakes. We try to do what's best in what we know and within our ability, but we have lots of growing to do as well. Be gentle and be clear and explicit with your expectations or your concern or, you know, the problem you're presenting. And then the last recommendation I have is bring several suggestions for whatever problem or concern you're bringing up. Yeah, I like that. I like all those. I think that's good advice to to any employee. Um, I may add... um, you know, sometimes it's good to phrase things as a question. And it's it's a, it's a tactic that, that any mediator would use, you know. And, and you aren't so much saying this is the way it needs to be done. You're more proposing hypotheticals and, yes. and just trying to get them to see things from a different perspective mm-hmm. sometimes. Have you considered this or um, have you thought about this? Or in our planning session, this question came up. Mm-hmm. And share that question with your leader. And they may either say, let me think about it. Give me some time right. to process it. Or it could be something that's been in the back of their mind and they didn't know how to move forward. Right. And, and yeah, sometimes you just plant a seed. You might mention something. You don't need a response right there. You plant the seed and you leave. Yeah. And then maybe a week from now, you might be in a, in a conference and the, the boss may say, oh, you know what I was thinking the other day? And you might not get credit for the idea, but that's okay. It is okay as long know. as it is productive for the entire school or right. district. That's all that matters. Right. I, I would say, uh, and this kind of was going with uh, number seven, if you happen to have the ear of your boss um, and 
you know, you offer something or they ask for your input and you disagree with it and you need to, to make clear like, okay, like it's okay if, if it's the right type of boss to say, I don't agree with you, but as soon as I walk out that door, no one will know. Like I will support mm-hmm. you on it. It's one of the most important things. Um, number one, you need to have within a leadership team. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we behind closed doors, we may battle, unpeel, you know, beat our heads against the wall trying to solve world problems. When we come out, we have to come out as one because that makes an impact on your, on your culture. And but, your, the hardest part, though, I think, for those middle managers is is to follow through. And what you can't do is say, you know what, I'm not going to mention it out there. But then you can't go to to Susie and say, you know, I wouldn't have done it that way. And it's not going to work. Right. And you can't do that. You know, you do, go talk to your spouse. You mm-hmm. know, go vent to somebody who doesn't work Get in the building. Get a journal. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Find somebody who's not attached to the building and maybe you can vent that way. Mm-hmm. So that's probably my best advice there. Good stuff. I like the list. And uh, I know it's not necessarily – just education centric, but I think it doesn't, does apply in any school district. So absolutely. All right. Well, I've got one for you that, uh, I've been following and you've had to have heard this story. It's, it's kind of a, I try not to get these really big stories that a lot of people already know, but this one just, it was happy story. So we had to get there, but did you hear about the kid with the Tennessee shirt? I did. Right. And so this, this, Young um, boy, I think he was in fourth grade. He was supposed to make a shirt of the university he liked. He had an orange shirt, and he basically took a piece of paper and drew UT on it. And pinned it to his shirt. And pinned it to his shirt, and then he got bullied about it. And the response has been overwhelmingly positive from the University of Tennessee and much of the country, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it looks like this. So first off, like the story kind of rolled out in tears. First off, UT is like, we're going to make the shirt and sell it. Like we are adopting this design, which that was awesome. Says a lot about their leadership. Exactly. And um, so then I think they sold some, I want to say 50,000 orders for the shirt. Like immediately. Right. 50,000 pre-orders. And then the band, I think it was this past weekend, um, they actually wore the shirt, which looked even cooler, you know. And, and then, so now he's an entrepreneur, you know, in a way, now you can talk to him about business and about I- bright ideas and why you should share them. Yeah. And, and I think all the money is going to go to like an anti-bullying type league. Yes. And um, what's even cooler is the university has gone even a step further and now offered him tuition and entry <gasps> wow. into the uh, university as an honorary admission into the class of 2032. So look at that. Yeah. It it's really is a, a cool story. And I bet the bully is now jealous. Right. And and even more so, like, what's the big lesson? Well, so back at this school or any school, um, you could do it at your school. It's you talk about the story and there's this good discussion about bullying, why it's wrong and and has a happy ending. That's a great idea because actually we just rolled over um, from old school announcements where I call through the PA system. Mm -hmm. So now we're doing our digital announcements. We put it together. I work with um, two of my teachers and I'm super excited because now I think I'm going to put together a segment for us to use in the next few days to share that story to all of our students. Wait, wait so I got to hear about the digital announcements. Like, oh yeah, what, what does that mean? Like digital video, digital print? Like, so it's video. I share um, several audio recordings with you know important information like the birthdays, um, homeroom attendance. Is this daily? A, a, every single day, and wow. I have a teacher that pulls together all of my audio clips and any pictures I share with her, and then other fun things that our um, student center and we put together. And now our our announcements every single day our teachers just log in to their email we share the link and they show the announcements to the students so when it's convenient for the teacher they just pull it up and show it in the classroom nope tardy bell rings at 8 a.m and we really we really want the students to see it by 805 to protect instructional minutes okay gotcha but but so like the the teacher is actually like pulling up this 
production. Yes. Wow, that takes a lot of production work on the front end. It does, but we've got a really good system in place. We have yeah. a Google Doc where I update the information that I'm going to use. It's sort of like my script. Yeah. And then the teacher that, one of the teachers that I'm working with, um, she's very techy, And so she pulls all these things together. And then our counselor, who's a huge help, provides a lot of the data that we use. We pull it straight from school status. Yeah. And um, we put it together and we share it with everyone. And that includes the weather, that includes the lunch menu, nice. upcoming events, reminders about, you know, positive behavior. And then of course, we love sharing Kid President. Love it. That's all good stuff. Kid President's still rocking and rolling. Huh? Yes. Well, are you ready for our bright idea? I'm ready. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here with a message for new teachers. Chase Milkey is a high school teacher, writer, and speaker, and he's the author of The Burnout Cure, Learning to Love Teaching Again, and his videos on YouTube have been viewed over a million times. Chase, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Nick. Uh, I'm excited to have you. In fact, I mentioned the YouTube videos. I was checking those out, and I got to ask you, like, your videos, are you a videographer as well? Like, whoever's helping you or you're doing it, like, they know what they're doing. They're high-quality videos. No, yeah, that, that was very much me hiring out, delegating to someone who knows what they're doing. Um, you know, the, the what students really need to hear video was one of those blog posts that went pretty viral a little while ago. And a lot of people were requesting a video. And so I thought, like, if I'm going to do a video, I need to make sure that I do it the highest quality possible. So Rhino Media out of Kalamazoo has helped me with all of those. Well, they, they did a really good job. I do videography. And I was like, all right, so oh, cool. the, either the, either this teacher has a side passion and he's really good at it <laughs> or or something's going on. So if anyone wants to check those out. But since since we mentioned that right off the top here, let's if no one's seen your videos or even referred to the, the particular post that you were just referring to, kind of fill us in on that backstory there. Yeah, the main one that has been viewed a lot is what students really need to hear, which was something that stems quite literally from a frustration with a real class I was dealing with. And, and, you know, I start off the post talking about in the middle of the night, just having a hard time falling asleep and losing sleep because I just wanted my students to look at school differently. And with the insomnia kicking in, I decided to actually just go down to my living room in the middle of the night and plug away like my thoughts, just stream of consciousness of all the things that I wish students would understand about the deeper reasoning behind school and pushing themselves and showing up to class and put it out there. You know, I looked at it the next day, made a couple edits, put it out into the World Wide Web. And it was one of those odd things where a month went by and I didn't really think anything of it. And then all of a sudden it struck a chord with so many teachers and so many people across the world, across the U.S. So, I mean, how many know, times think- has that been looked at? Do you know? Um, the actual blog post, I think, is about four million. Wow! And then the the videos is close to that. I think eight hundred thousand or right. so. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's been quite interesting just to know number one that I'm not alone with a lot of these things, and to just get responses all over the world of people who have very similar. And also the other interesting thing is having a lot of people push back on some of those thoughts of, you know, what is the true purpose of school and to what extent that's the mindset students should have. So it's created some really good dialogue with a lot of people and a lot of students. Well, and I I don't know if I'm describing this right, because I'm like the furthest thing from a poet, but but (laughs) you almost delivered it. And I guess like, is it like slam poetry style? Is that what you call that? Yeah, I, you know, I've heard many people reference it as slam poetry, and I've never considered myself a slam poet or went with that exact lens. But because I'm a writer and an English teacher, just a lot of prose, a lot of 
you know, trying to weave in some assonance and some symbolism and parallelism. So kind of kind of creative, but a lot of people do consider it in a slam poem sort of realm. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to um, embed that video into this cool. to the show notes here. So if anybody wants to check that out, they can find that there um, if you haven't seen it already. So so Chase, I brought you on the show because um, you wrote this article and I think it hit a couple different publications, but mm-hmm. basically it was a letter to new teachers. And, mm-hmm. and I imagine, you know, we're in the podcast world here. We probably have a lot of new teachers who are, are looking mm-hmm. for information and, and they're about to jump in or they're just getting started and they're a month in or less. And and I just kind of wanted to like knock through this list here that you have and and really yeah. what made you decide to write this first? Let me ask you that. Um, it was something that I was working with ASCD since they're the publisher of my book, The Burnout Cure, and you know they were looking for topics in the realm of teacher well being, and they had kind of pitched like you know do you do you have any thoughts of what you would recommend or say to new teachers who were just diving in? And since I do instructional coaching and mentoring within our district. Um, I had some thoughts ready to roll of this is this is stuff that I wish I knew when I was a new teacher. It's stuff that is in the realm of my work in positive psychology and teaching. And so kind of marrying those those two worlds of being a new teacher and psychological research. And I'm paraphrasing, but you basically start off by saying, you know, as a teacher, you're gonna be trying to push back the possibility yeah. of burnout. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is that students probably won't be the main cause of the burnout, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so in your mind, what would that be? The main cause, I think, stems from a lot of conflicts and perceptions that are more adult-driven than student-driven, both for my personal world and in talking with a lot of newer teachers or even veteran teachers. Some of their main stressors are feeling you know, a lack of autonomy or respect or uh, colleague conflict or struggles connecting with parents. And so there are all these other things beyond what we get prepared for of the actual classroom that can bleed into and make it really, really challenging. So if I'm hearing you right, you're saying don't let the system and bureaucracy beat you down. <laughs> like, <laughs> More or less. Yeah. Okay. Like it, and it's, yeah, we're going to go full anarchy uprising. No, uh, I think a lot of it is just trying to be far more intentional with how to preserve your passion when all these things can make it really hard to stay passionate and stay energized. So, so you offer uh, a list of what you call passion stokers. And, mm-hmm. and I want to, and is that, is that your, did you coin that? I like that. If, if, uh, that's me. Yeah. That's, that's good. <laughs> as far I like that. as I know. <laughs> okay. Um, passion stokers. And, and we're just going to kind of roll through these, but, but number one, yeah. find a positive tribe. Tell me about that. Yeah. The, the idea of social connection is so huge, not only for avoiding burnout, but just for well-being in general. And a lot of teachers, including myself, sometimes we, we get into a situation or a building or a district and we have a hard time finding people. Um, and we have a hard time finding people who are, have the same level of passion and sometimes the same level of energy. And who you associate with in your personal world and your professional world can have a profound impact on your own well-being and happiness. So even trying to reach out beyond the classroom walls or the district walls of linking up with people online or former teacher development programs of more or less looking for who still loves their job and how do I try to absorb that, especially yeah. veteran teachers. And it's not just in teaching. It's I think any career yeah. you walk into, you're going to have yeah. those people there who have been there for 20 years and and they're fed up. And And so yeah. how do you avoid those folks who have that negative energy? Do you give any teachers advice about that? 
You know, there there are moments when you can't avoid it. Um, I actually wrote a blog post recently that I call conversational dieting of learning how to treat conversations like food and learning how to not give into the junk food of gossip and negativity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there there are some strategies of how to try to redirect conversations towards action and positivity. Um, But the reality is sometimes it's really hard to avoid some of that in meetings or in unexpected interactions. So it's not necessarily avoid entirely because that's almost impossible. It is how do I supplement with still connecting with other people who love what they do? Your next uh, passion stoker is curate the good, don't hoard the bad. Tell me about that. Yeah. So uh, I, this is one of my favorite analogies. Of There are people who I refer to as emotional hoarders. Um, teachers are really good at hoarding emotion. They were just surrounded by student emotion and colleague emotion. And sometimes when we end our day, we're still carrying that emotion, pleasant or unpleasant. Uh, you know, we might meet up with some colleagues for a cocktail after work, and then it's just people venting and talking about what's wrong and what's bad. And that stuff wears on us emotionally. It wears on us. And so trying to look at it instead of a curator. A curator can go about the world and notice the bad art and notice the stuff that isn't good, but the curator isn't going to bring that stuff home. The curator isn't going to bring those and put them front and center in their household and make it the centerpiece of their entire existence as a teacher or an individual. And I think that's a big idea of how do I notice the bad, but how do I make sure that the things I'm talking about, the things that I am really putting my emotional energy in are the things that are good and uplift me and make me feel like my work matters. Uh, Your number three, Passion Stoker, forgive. Yeah. Oh, it's the hardest one. That one is, I, I think, one of the most important, but it is so hard. Teachers have this mismatch between really high expectations for ourselves and for our students, and then also having to meet our students where they are and sometimes having to meet colleagues where they are. And that can cause some resentment when a student or a parent or a colleague doesn't behave the way we want them to. Um, and naturally, by the business of working with people, we're going to have those conflicts. So learning to let go of needing to fix everything and change everything and learning to let go of the past can help us still move forward. And also, I think especially for young teachers or maybe even just teachers of all ages, learning to forgive ourselves when we make mistakes, Mm -hmm. because it can be brutal of wanting to change the world and then realizing we can't bear the weight of the world on our shoulders. Sometimes it makes us feel like we're not enough or we're not adequate and just giving ourselves permission to to do our best and know that it's not always going to be perfect. I mean, if I'm hearing you right on this one, and it's something that I think I've been trying to do over the past several years, and that's um, to to be okay with meeting someone beyond halfway. It's like we kind of expect mm-hmm. people to meet us halfway, but often they let mm-hmm. us down. They don't. Um, yeah. But you just kind of got to go 75% sometime or 99% yeah. sometime. Is that is that what, pretty much what you're saying? Yeah, to some extent, I think it is, you know, trying to to do our best to meet someone halfway. Um, But I also think it's figuring out how long are we lingering about something that's happened in the past, especially something that we can't change. You know, there are there are students who I still have trauma of making a huge mistake and doing something that I regretted. And those things linger sometimes so much that we have a hard time moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there have been moments of, of conflict with colleagues that sometimes I have to realize that that happened years ago when we were both in different places. And how do I just 
set that aside and treat the moment for what the moment is without all the baggage of my past or the past of the situation. All right. Number four, own your present and future. Yeah, that's kind of similar to this idea of extending from forgiveness is we get caught up in the past, but it goes a whole nother level of this internal locus of control that, you know, and I linked some studies in that article. Yeah, which I really liked. I thought that was clever. That I mean, you cite several studies throughout this whole entire yeah. article. Yeah, that, that's always been my focus is, is having things that are grounded in research, but put to practice with teachers, real life teachers and people in the industry. And, and, you know, there are a lot of studies that if you focus on what's within your control and learn to set aside what's out of your control, you typically have less conflict in your relationships. You typically feel more satisfied about the work you do. Typically, you're more resilient when things do go wrong. So... That's another major element. And I think what brings a lot of people down in education is they focus so much their energy on stuff beyond their control, uh, things that are really difficult to try to shift and change with one person, one life. And it doesn't mean ignoring some of those things, but when it comes down to it, we're in control of our classrooms. Um, we're in control of how we create learning opportunities. We're in control of our words and our responses. And so focusing on that's a big part of perseverance and making sure that we have a sense of autonomy and control. Um, craft your calling is your number five. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's another whole realm of research. Uh, Amy Resnuski and Jane Dutton are a couple of top name researchers in a work engagement. And they've spent a, time lo- a lot of time looking at what is it that workers do to stay engaged, even if their peers are not engaged, or even in situations that we wouldn't expect someone to be engaged. And their data has found out that there are really like three main things that people do to craft their job or craft their calling. They either change the amount or type of interactions with other people, So trying to increase interactions with certain people, decrease interactions, change the nature of the relationship. Sometimes they craft their actual task. So finding ways to make it their own or adapt it to their style and their world. And or sometimes they try to shift how they frame a problem or view it. And those three different layers of job crafting are things that all of us can do regardless of our circumstances. And everyone typically does it to some extent, but people who love their work do it intentionally. They recognize when they're feeling burned out and they try to figure out, okay, what do I need to change? Do I need to change how I'm interacting with people? Do I need to change how I'm doing this task? Do I need to even just change my mindset around it? And that's really empowering when you know that there are strategies out there to shift those circumstances. I, I know we build this as you know a message for new teachers, but I really feel like if you've been in the game for five years, you can, <laughs> right. you can hear some of this and, and act on it. Am, am I wrong? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you know the the whole impetus and inspiration of the book, the Burnout Cure, came from me almost quitting teaching two or three years ago. And I, I, you know, I'd been teaching for like seven or eight years and I had loved my job, but I was just bogged down by so much extra stuff and challenge. And it was ironic because I was, you know, about to quit teaching, but I was also teaching a positive psychology class about all these studies and things. So it was a serendipitous thing of, I need to double down and actually practice what I preach more intentionally. Well, and were you almost counseling yourself in the, in the crafting of the book? 
it really was. It was like, okay, what were the things that have helped me? What are the things that I talk about a lot? And, and how do I put those in language that any teacher, really any person, regardless of their profession, could use to help them reestablish their love or to restoke their flame? Um, I'm g- I mean this as a compliment, but you, you seem, I have no idea how old you are, but you, you seem younger than me. And, um, and you said you've been teaching, I guess, sounds like somewhere around 10 years or so. Am I right? Yeah, this, yeah, this is year 12. Okay. So, so you're in the game for that long. I would still consider you somewhat of a young teacher, but, but you uh-huh. speak with, um, the wisdom of someone who's older than me. And that's even been in this maybe for 20 plus years. Like when did you realize that like coaching other people was just kind of a gift that you had? It, it was one of those things that I didn't really think about until it started happening <laughs> you know like i so so much of my my passion was just through the lens of blogging so anytime i was dealing with something in my personal world or dealing with something in teaching or even just learn something beneficial i would just write about it and then you know that kind of segued into i wasn't alone and other people were getting a chance to see those posts and comment and share them so just one of those things that you know i've pursuing what I love and it just happens to be influential to other people sometimes. Well, well, hopefully you're reaching some teachers today. If somebody wants to keep up with you, like should they follow you on the blog or check out you on Twitter or like, where do you like to hang out? Yeah. Uh, the two main lenses for my education are are Twitter. So at chase milky. And then my blog is affective living a affective with an a, um, effective living.com. And that's where I post. I have my videos posted there. I blog regularly there. I also have a weekly newsletter um, that I share a lot of this stuff. So those are the main sources. Yeah. And if anyone's typing in your last name, Milky is, <laughs> is, is M-I-E-L-K-E. Yes. Right? Very, very German. Yeah. Yeah. But there you go. So again, Chase, we appreciate you taking the time to share all your wisdom with us. Are you ready for our pop quiz? I am ready to the best of my ability. You've got it. Uh, If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, I'm biased because I my positive psychology class is my go-to. It's we do everything to try to establish more happiness and purpose. So why not teach it directly? What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Well-being, how to take care of yourself. Yeah, and elaborate on that. Like, what makes you say that? You know, I think so many of the external problems that we have stem from people not having self-reflection and introspection. Uh, You know, our struggles with people not empathizing is a lot of individuals don't even have good emotional intelligence for themselves. Uh, You know, people struggling with their work is often because they're struggling with some part of their character, some part of their framework and perspective. So I think a lot of the external issues we see could be remedied if people learn to take care of themselves and learn emotional regulation and social emotional intelligence. What does every child deserve? A caring adult who will look out for them no matter what mistakes they make. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Ooh, uh, lack of respect from culture. What's the best gift to give an educator? Time and if the educator is down for it, maybe alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Time and alcohol. That's the title of your next book. Right, right. that'll be the one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Which teacher changed your life? Ooh, that's an interesting one because I never had a single teacher. Part of my motivation of going into teaching is feeling like I didn't have an adult who treated me with respect. However, uh, my assistant principal was one of the few people who treated me 
he like a person even and it's probably because i was in trouble a lot i was a troublemaker yeah um but he mr conroy was one of those people who he treated people like people and individuals and that was one of my main inspirations well i mean is there a particular moment where like you said you you were in trouble did he you know ever pull you in the office and something stuck with you in your mind it was just more of he was a big practitioner of love and logic Right. And so, you know, he was very much, uh, he, he would talk to me, he wouldn't yell at me, he wouldn't guilt me, he wouldn't make me feel like I have, you know, damaged the world or the history. He was kind of like, yeah, you're about to make a choice and it's not going to be a good choice and here's going to be the consequence, but it's, it's your choice to make. And as little as those moments were, it, it actually spoke to me of, of someone who is going to treat me like an adult, um, but also hold me accountable when I'm stupid. <laughs> right, right. Well, last question, pen or pencil? Pen. Uh, Pilot G207. The best pen out there. There you go. Chase Milky, we appreciate the uh, pen tip as well as all the other (laughs) advice that you had to give. And uh, keep in touch with the show, please. Hey, thank you for having me on. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.